Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Okay, let's jump into our new series. It's called Rewire, Rewire. Now, it implies, and the whole idea behind this series, it's implying that every human being listening to me right now may need an area of their life rewired. We might need to maybe even change. Now, now I know, I know, you all look so good. And online, you sound like you have it all together. But here's the truth about everyone. This is their life. You can see their life. This is someone's life. So when you're looking, look to the side if you can. If you're online, if you've got someone sitting next to you, look at them. This, you see someone's life, but here's what you know. That's what you know about them. That's why it's really important you're gentle with people in life. In fact, in the scripture, we're not just encouraged, we're even commanded to be gentle with people. One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. In fact, Paul would say this, let your gentleness be evident to, anyone know what that word is? Oh, do all people know that you're gentle? Why are we gentle? Because we see this and we judge people based on this. Don't we get judgy sometimes? Isn't there a propensity in us to get a little judgy? To look at, I can ignore, I can give myself permission to ignore the junk in my life, but be ever super vigilant about the junk in your life. It's so easy to do. Why? Because we've all been infected. Every human being has this disease. It's called plankitis. Every one of us has plankitis in us. In fact, it's kind of defined by Jesus here in Matthew. He said this, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a plank in your own? Hypocrite, he says. First, get rid of the plank in your own eye, then you'll see enough to deal with this speck in your friend's eye. We all have plankitis. Every one of us does. So that's why when we're going into a series that we're going to talk about physical health, and we're going to talk about uh, emotional health, we're going to talk about relational health, and we're going to talk about mental health, I wanted to declare at the beginning of the series that this is a judgment-free zone. Can we do that? That it's a judgment-free zone. We're not going to, we're choosing, I'm not going to judge my partner. I'm not going to judge my spouse. I'm not going to judge my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter. This is a series for me. I'm bringing my life to this because I've never met a person that couldn't get healthier. I didn't meet, I've never met that person. Have you met that person that has it all together? I mean, they may have aspects of their life. Remember, you see this much of them. So all the people that are looking good around you, they got stuff going on. All the people online that they sound so faith-filled in that chat room, they got stuff going on. There's something going on in each of our lives, but we're choosing a judgment-free zone. Listen, you can get back to judging in four weeks, but for the next four weeks, we're not going to judge each other. Are we okay with that? Sound like a plan? Okay, so let's rewire. Let's rewire. Now, when you think of rewiring, changing, transforming, becoming healthier, it feels like something that's a no-brainer, like just do it, right? Just do it. But have you ever tried to change? How easy is it? 
It's very difficult to change. It's really hard to change. It's not easy. In fact, I had to take a step back when we were preparing this series to say, why do I find it so difficult to choose healthy habits? Why do I find it so difficult to change the areas of my life that I already know need to change? And if I didn't know, Shelley can help me find those areas. You know, why, why are they so hard to find? Why is that so hard to do? I think, if I'm honest with myself, I like to white-knuckle through things. Do you know what that means? Grip the wheel tightly. And with sheer willpower, I will change. And sometimes it works for a period of time. It's like when I go through tough moments, I'm highly motivated to change. Aren't you? Highly motivated. It's like when you come back from the doctor's appointment and they have the conversation, the tough talk, like, Jonathan, you're not 25 anymore. And Shelly will tell you, I come home, I start running more, I'm eating better, until the sting of his comment wears off. And then I'm back into my old habits in life. It's no different when I think of the, the stressful pockets of my life, when I've allowed a lot of deadlines to catch up to me, and I'm feeling the stress and pressure, everything's coming at me, and I determine that moment, I'm never letting this happen again. And I get super scheduled and organized, and I'm on top of things, until that feeling of being on an edge kind of leaves me, and I kind of let my guard down. And all of a sudden, I'm back on that edge again. Uh, I think when, when there's been seasons where Shelly's been particularly upset with me, I want you to know I've never done anything that would make her upset, though. <laughs> when I, I'm never to blame. I just want you to know that, right, guys? And anyway, like, in those seasons, I'm hyper-interested and I'm particularly motivated to pull up my socks. But when the pressure's off, the old habits begin to come back. Maybe it's just me. See, willpower is not enough to change. Willpower just isn't. Crisis motivation is not enough to sustain change in our life. Real change requires a new habit, new neural pathways, and new wiring. If you really want to change, it requires a little bit of work. It requires some change. So uh, years ago, I read this quote. I probably shared it with this church before years ago because it changed my life a little bit. It changed the way I saw the rhythm of my life and the system that I built around my life. And it, was, uh, it went like this. And I'll have you read out loud with me because I feel like everybody's ready to read, aren't you? Read this out loud with me. Everything worthwhile in life is uphill. No one ever wrote a book called Sliding to Success. The problem is that people have uphill hopes with downhill habits. First you form your habits, and then your habits form you. And I, the first time I read that, I just thought, I had to say, it's true. It's true. When I think of all the uphill hopes I have in life, all the things that I think I can reach or attain, and then I think of all the downhill habits I have in life that are actually working against those very hopes. Habits are new pathways, it's new wiring, and they lead to life change. So today, we're going to talk about rewiring physically, physically. Now, when you open the Bible, it's not obvious, not first, that there's any sort of passage that just speaks to physical health. 
It's not like you open the Gospels and you read about Jesus and he woke up at 5 a.m. and went praying. Then he put in a quick 5K. Then he he had his bullet coffee. And then he went intermittent fasting, but he broke the fast with grass-fed beef and greens. You don't read any of that in the Bible. But it's implied throughout Scripture. In fact, if you go back to some of the portions of the Bible that are even hard to read, like Leviticus, it's filled with all these commands about what to eat, how to care for yourself, cleanliness and hygiene. And God is caring for his people when they're traveling through the desert without refrigeration, no running water, no health care. God's clearly concerned about your physical health, clearly concerned. You can go into the New Testament and you look at the life of Jesus and the one he lived and people who are far nerdier than I have done the math that he likely walked about 34,000 kilometers by the time he was 33 years of age. He was a tradesman, he was a carpenter. This man was highly active in his body. He worked out a lot just by living life. And we also know his diet because we know the diet in that era, in that moment. You can see the habits that are built there. Not to say the the least, you can see the implication in Scripture that God must be concerned about our physical bodies because a lot of the miraculous miracles are attached to healing moments. And if you go to the book of Proverbs, how many of the Proverbs speak to healthy habits in your life and that, that affect your body? Many do. Many do. So clearly, this is a priority in Scripture, but there's not like this one passage you go in like, there's the fitness passage. It's not there. Now, in 3 John, though, there's this greeting the Apostle John uses. I've always found this greeting a little fascinating. It's at one level, on the obvious side, it looks very common. On the not-so-obvious side, it's very different than anything you would find in that moment in time. Here's how this greeting read. Dear friend... I pray that you enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, on the surface, this was a very common greeting. In the Hellenistic era, you find this in many letters that were written in that era. The similar phrase, especially this first part, had the same cadence to it. John is saying this to a friend of his, his friend's name is Gaius, and he's a pastor in a different region, and he's sending him greetings, and he speaks his blessing over his life. And by doing so, he's expressing, firstly, uh, 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 God's blessing for his material or circumstantial life, that somehow that matters. In fact, the verb that John uses, because the original language of this was Greek, the verb that he uses for that it may all go well with you literally means that that you would have a good journey in this life, that you would succeed and that you would prosper. So John is expressing concern for the circumstances of someone's life, their material wealth, their ability to provide for themselves. There's a concern he's expressing here in a prayer. He goes on, though, the other verb for enjoy good health, here this Greek word, is actually quoted three times in the Gospel of Luke by the doctor, the physician. And he uses it, every time he uses it, it's always to be saying that someone be fit and well or safe and sound. John's expressing care for his physical health. Now, if we stopped at that part of the greeting, that was common. This was a common Hellenistic greeting in that era. You can read it in multiple letters. It's the next part that made this very uncommon. When he said this, even as your soul prospers. John does something really radical here. This doesn't sound radical because we're in a church context. You know, if you've been around church, you're thinking like, of course. In John's context, this is going like, what are you doing connecting the physical world with the spiritual world? You don't do those things. 
In John's contact, the religious leaders and the philosophers disconnected. They divorced them one from the other. Why? Because the things of the flesh were evil or at the least disposable. And the things of the spirit were eternal and of God or gods, whatever your view was in that first century era. He's connecting them in a way that they were never previously connected. Well, how dare you connect the spiritual world with someone's welfare here on earth? This is just temporary. But he does this. And Christianity does this over and over. It's actually fascinating. It's one of the unique things that distinguishes Christianity from a lot of other uh, pathways. One is how they connect physical things with the spiritual thing. Like take sex, for instance. Christianity was unique in that it it elevated sex as being something sacred, something holy. Now, if you're brand new to church, you're going like, that's not what I think of when I think of church and Christians and sex. They seem to be oppressive, controlling, you know, but, but it was actually an elevation of it. They were saying, listen, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. It needs to be put inside of a covenant relationship with guardrails that protect what God is doing in that moment, what is happening between two individuals. But in, in John's time, sex was just something that was uh, needed for procreation. It was a function of the body, and there was a lot of distortions. But it didn't problem, it, didn't even pro, it wasn't problematic even for religious people because that was kind of over here. It had nothing to do with your relationship with God. And Christianity comes along and says, oh, it has everything to do with it. And take relationships. It's fascinating. Relationships, when you read the Bible, are tied to the spiritual world. That somehow, that how I treat others is connected to my sacred relationship with God. That the measure, if you ever want to measure the health and the depth of your relationship with God, it's measured by the health and the depth of your relationship with others. All you need to do is take a look around. That's pretty hard though, isn't it? See, what John is driving at here is you are a connected being. You're a connected being. He's connecting things that weren't. He's connecting the physical health with the material world and circumstantial, and he's connecting it to your spiritual health. He's saying we're connected people. As theologian John Stott, he says this about John chapter 3, he says, there is a biblical warrant here for desiring the physical as well as the spiritual welfare of our Christian friends. They are, that the whole person matters here. Now, this sounds like a no-brainer in this room in 2023. This was radical in the first century. He's trying to paint a picture that every human being is connected. Kind of looks a little bit like this. That your mental health is connected to your emotional health. It's connected to your relational health, how you serve people. And it's connected to your physical health. Everything is connected. And that's why around here we pray for everything. We pray for people's healing. Why? Because their physical health matters. We pray for jobs. Why? Because provision and circumstantial things matter in this life. Now, catch this though. All of those are temporary. Every job will end someday, right? We live like it won't and it will. Why are we shocked when it happens? Everyone's health is going to run out someday until Jesus returns, right? We know this is going to happen, yet we're shocked every time it happens. Of course it's going to happen. Yet it matters to God. Why? Because it matters to you. I love the goodness of God, the kindness of God. He made us to be connected beings. Every part of your life, and you're going to see it through the series, matters to God. It's all connected, and we are the sum of all of those parts, each area affecting the other. 
So if you have a Bible, or if you've got a Bible app, turn to John chapter 5, because I'm going to show you how the physical life actually intersects with the mental, the emotional, the relational life, and how they can actually begin to work against or work for you. John chapter 5 is an interesting passage. Let me read it. I'm going to pick up the portion of Scripture that says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men living there, lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to be well? Would you like to get well? Now, that's a pretty obvious question, isn't it? I mean, that's actually maybe even borderline insensitive if someone's sick, isn't it? Maybe even rude. Someone's sick. He's lying there 38 years. It says, Jesus already knew this. And he says, would you like to get well? Here's a way when you're reading the Bible that's very helpful contextually. Whenever God asks an obvious question, it's because something not obvious is going on. So in the Garden of Eden, when God says to Adam, where are you? God is not having trouble locating Adam. He's omniscient. He created the world. Surely he can find one guy hiding in the bushes. He knows exactly where Adam is. Why does he ask that question? Because something not obvious is going on. Adam can't find himself. Adam has lost himself. There's always another layer when you see something obvious being asked, something not obvious is going on. So we pick up the story. It says this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. Now, this takes place in a place called Bethesda. Uh, Pastor Keith introduced me to this place. First time I had gone to the Holy Land, he, he took, we did a tour of this place. It was incredible. Uh, we're going to head there next spring as a church community, and those who want to be a part of it, you can. More details to come about that. But in this pool was a place, some of the early texts have it, some of them don't. Some of them talk about how an angel would stir up the waters, and whoever got in there first, whoever was sick or unhealthy got in there first, got a miracle. They got a miracle. So this is a place where there's likely hundreds of sick people laying around waiting for a moment to happen. Now, what's interesting is we don't actually know if anyone got healed from that water. Never says it in the Bible. Never tells us whether or not Scripture never records it. But when you're desperate, a rumor is enough. When you're desperate, a rumor is enough to make you spend your life watching and waiting for something to happen. If you're desperate today, or if you know desperate people around you, sometimes they cling on to stuff that you already know it's not, this is not going to help them. But they grabbed hold of what they think is a way forward, a rumor. These people are finding themselves here because they have no other option. Their only option is the pool. There's no health care. There's no... Uh, uh, advanced medicine for help people with transit and independent living. There's none of that. So they're lying there with no other option. And this man is here. He's been here for 38 years, the text tells us. And the people around him, they must have known about Jesus. They must have heard about Jesus. Because when you're a place where people are needing a touch from God, they need the miraculous, they hear any rumor 
about the miraculous, don't they? They'll hear any rumor that's out there. So I'm sure they've heard of Jesus, but they can't get to him. First off, Jesus is a mobile uh, preaching unit. He's all over uh, that area. And so how do you get to him? They can't get to him. The only way they're going to experience Jesus is if Jesus comes to them. And this is something about Jesus. He always comes where he's invited. So we're told in the story, Jesus shows up in Bethesda, and he certainly knew about Bethesda. He would have heard it too. They're in the same business, miracles. So he would have heard about it. But he shows up there. He looks around. He makes some inquiries. He sees that there's a man who's been laying for 38 years. He goes to him, and he asks him this ridiculous question, would you like to get well? And the right answer would have been, oh, boy, nobody's confident enough to really say it out. The right answer, obviously, if you're that desperate, shouldn't it be, yes, I would like to get well. But he doesn't answer that. There's something not obvious going on in this man's mind and in his heart. See, this man is not just stuck physically. He's not just stuck in his circumstances. He's just stuck, he's stuck emotionally. He's stuck relationally. Look at this. No one's here to help me. His whole support system had left him a long time ago. Sometimes in the middle of our brokenness, sometimes people end up leaving us, right? He's stuck in so many different ways. And this is the truth about Bethesda. Bethesda actually is a trap. A place that promises something but fails to deliver. A place that is rigged for failure but promises a miracle. 38 years, guys. 38 years. How many days is that? I didn't do the math. Someone's a mathematician here. Someone's got, someone's got an iPhone with a, with a calculator. That's a lot of days. I know that. 38 days every day, maybe today. 38 years later. Bethesda has become a trap. Why does Jesus ask him, would you like to get well? Obviously, he's there. Jesus is probing. He's trying to determine how much damage has Bethesda done to this man. Bethesda represents the areas in your life where you're stuck. Those areas that you're stuck, those mindsets and habits that you won't let go of, but they continue to hurt you emotionally. They continue to hurt your relationships. They continue to hurt your mental health. They continue to detract from your physical health. But you keep believing them. We keep holding on to them. We keep living for them. It's the rumors we hold on to because we're desperate. It's the lie. Bethesda is the lie that I believe that I can dig myself out of my own mess. That I believe that somehow I can stop the addiction, that private addiction in my life, that somehow one day or another I'll be able to end it. That somehow the pool of my life circumstances will bubble up someday and everything will change. Magically by itself without me having to change. It's the belief it's a belief that sometimes, despite our wiring and our habits that may be contributing to a lot of our unhealth in our life, it's a belief that somehow the pool of a prayer at the altar will change everything. I can be whole without having to change what I eat, without having to change how I live, without having to change how I love, without having to change how I think. Now, to be clear, I believe in prayer. We pray for people, anyone. We want to agree in prayer with you. We want to encourage you. We want to join our faith with yours. 
But I'll tell you, in 31 years of pastoring, I've prayed for people that I knew, you know, the answer was probably just changing habits. The answer was addressing their wiring. See, we all, and let's get in this pool together, we all sit at Bethesda. All of us do. I'm not picking on anyone because I'm right there next to you. We are all in Bethesda. And there are physical habits that are killing us. There are relational habits that are isolating you. There are, there are emotional defaults that keep disrupting any sense of joy or peace we have in our life. You see, Bethesda always overpromises and it always underdelivers. So Jesus asked the man, would you like to get well? And again, you'd think his response would be, yes, can you help me? But what, what does he say? He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he, I think he thinks this, because he doesn't know, if you read the story later, he doesn't know he's talking to Jesus at this point. In fact, he gets healed, he goes and presents himself to the religious leaders, they say, who healed you on the Sabbath? And he doesn't know. He has to go back and kind of find out who this guy is, and he comes back and says, oh, it was Jesus, and they're like, yeah, should have known. This guy's doing it all the wrong way. Wrong time, wrong place. I love how Jesus keeps showing up. He doesn't sit in our man-made systems. He transcends them. Listen, if he's showing up in your life now, open up your arms, don't cross them. Open up your arms, always receive him in those moments. It's beautiful how, the way he comes in, the way he addresses things. So he doesn't know who he's talking to. So clearly, he begins to educate Jesus. Clearly, you don't know how things work around here. You, you don't know how things actually are happen in this place. You don't know what, how these things work. He's educating Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, that's not the real problem. Would you like to be whole? Jesus, you're oversimplifying my problem. My problem is I'm so far away from the water and nobody's there to help me and I can't get into the water. That's the real problem. And Jesus is like, oh, I thought it was that you were late. Oh, that's your real problem. We do this all the time. Don't you do this in people's lives? When people approach you, maybe they really love you. They care a lot about you. But you've developed a system. Every one of us, I want you to see this. Every one of you have a system, a rhythm for your life. I, I, I keep this quote on my desk. I've shared it here before. These are two quotes, the one I shared earlier and this one, that really impacted my leadership, the way I see life. Pastor Andy Stanley said this, and I thought it was good. He said, your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. That may be good news, or that may be bad news. Every one of us has a system in your life. You have a system for your relationships. You have a system for your physical health, for your emotional health, for your mental health. You have a system for how you run your finances. Every one of us has a system, and that system is the pool we sit at. And we think ours is more complicated. So when someone comes to us with a simple question like, you know, do you want to get well? We're like, I oh, don't oversimplify my situation. You know, you don't understand. Uh, I'm so far from the pool. I got so many steps to do to get there. Many things, and you know, I, thought, I was thinking about it this week. Many things are outside of my control as they are yours. And by and large, I have different moments at life when, when those things are on my mind, the things that I can't control. But you know the things that bother me the most as I've gotten older? is the things that I could control, but I choose not to. I see the gaps in my life, and it bothers me. It eats at me a little bit, because hindsight is 20-20. And I think, man, had I stepped in and just acknowledged that I wasn't healthy, 
in this area of my life then? Had I addressed those habits? Had I addressed those things then? How much healthier could it be now? So sometimes hindsight gives you perspective. And I realize as I've gone through time in life that there are habits in my life that control me and, and I allow them to. All of us have these systems in our life and they're either producing or subtracting from our health. Like I think of relationships. How many of you had someone who loved you approach you and say, why are you with him? Why are you with her? And, 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 you, and then you educate them, right? That's too simple. You don't understand. That's usually how the response is. You don't understand. It's not that easy. It's not that comp. And we have this complicated web of systematizing and organizing the relational bad habits that we have instead of changing them or addressing them. That's not the way it works. Or physically. Let me take a drink before I talk. How many have had someone you love come to you and say, because you're physically not doing well. Why do you eat that? Why don't you get out and go for a walk? And, you know, again, too, it's insulting, isn't it? We don't like that. You don't understand. You don't understand. This is the food I grew up on. This is the food of my culture. Uh, you don't understand. I can't just, just walk away from that. I, many of you know, because if you've attended this church for a while, I'm a maritimer, and I grew up right on the east coast of Canada, right on the ocean. And maritime diets, Newfoundland, the Maritimes, are high in fat, very high in fat. And I'll tell you why. Because we grew up in a culture that was very uh, agricultural, or you're on the ocean. And if you've ever been on the ocean in February, if you've never been in the Atlantic Ocean uh, in the month of February, I want you to know, it cuts right through you. So the fishermen at that time developed high-fat uh, diets. You needed them. You were working constantly. The cold is coming at you. So a lot of the foods that I grew up loving are not great for me. So now they, I've had to re-put them into a different category. They're treats. Because they were made for a different era. I like to think of myself as rugged and strong as I type at my desk all day. <laughs> but I realize that it matters what I put in. It's mattering a lot to how I run the rhythm of my life. But we don't like to simplify it because what it does, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter. Do you want to get well? Now, you don't understand. Let me educate you, Jesus. Let me, let me help you understand clearly what's going on here. And this is what happens. Whatever your system is in life, everyone has a system. Everyone has a rhythm or a way you run your life. You have things you believe, things you believe that you know you do, things you believe but that because you practice them that way. They start to become organized into habits. And some of us have highly organized problems. We have highly organized problems. And it doesn't start that way, but the longer you live in them, the more systematized they become and more habitual you become. It's embedded in you. And you can't see it because everyone has blind spots. What, what's a blind spot? A blind spot is when someone knows something about you that you don't know about yourself. Aren't they painful when someone points one out? Often the people who love you, they have the front row seat to watch your, your foolishness at times, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, I have, I have uh, uh, many people in my home that are willing to point out my blind spots. They're gifts, though. 
It's not always easy to receive, and people don't always deliver them in the way we want to receive them, but it's a gift. It's actually very caring and loving to point out someone's blind spot. Do it nicely, though. Because some of us have highly organized worry. We've become professionals at it. Some of us have highly organized stress. Some of us have highly organized shame. I will say this. You're going to hear this multiple times in this series. We help support anyone at One Church deal with counseling, professional counselors. Uh, I'm a pastor. I can't give you a spiritual counselor. I I can't help you deal with some of these areas of your life in a way that is actually going to free you. Shame is very toxic to the human experience. Self-loathing is very toxic. That's an area that you won't fix by yourself. You need someone to help you. Some of us have highly organized addictions. I mean, some of us are addicted and we've even fooled ourselves. We don't have a problem. We just have a little bad habit that happens over and over and over again and controls us. Some of us have highly organized fears. Some of us have highly organized drama in our life. And if we're honest, we love it. (laughs) There's a part of us that loves it. We get fed off of it. It's like the people, I've met people through my life that were good at causing problems because they love to be useful and they're great at solving problems. Isn't that an interesting cycle? Start a problem so they can actually be the one who solves a problem. Have you ever met someone like that? You know the old adage, if you don't know anyone like that? It might be you. I don't know. (laughs) Some of us have highly organized financial problems, and this man is stuck in a system that promises a miracle and delivers a life sentence. You know what supports him in that, though? He has a support group laying around him, people in the same circumstances that he's in. You know, if you've been sick, have you ever noticed that? If you've ever been sick for a little length of time, all of your emails, all of your calls have to do about your sickness, right? It just kind of gets reinforced over and over and over again. Friends, we do tend to create networks of people that don't challenge us because it's uncomfortable. So we find people that like to worry like us. We find people that love to gossip like us. We find people, listen, I have not an addiction, just a great love for coffee. (laughs) Only superseded by by my lovely wife Shelley's love for coffee. And I notice this about Shelly, like if, if she, it'll be like, you know, seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, I don't like coffee after a certain time of day. And she'd be like, you want to have coffee? <laughs> now, I know if I don't want to have coffee, it's like, ah, oh. because why? She wants company. <laughs> she wants me in the same boat with her. And this is the way we all are in life. We want people that challenge us differently. We want people that enable, well, I don't want to use that word. Remember, we're talking about other people, not us, though, in the room, right? We're we're very different. So it's interesting. Jesus arrives, and he doesn't want to just heal him. He wants to change this man's location. He wants to change his habits. He wants to change his mindset. He wants to rewire him. And Jesus says this. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Get out of here. Relocate yourself. Jump out of the structure and the system that you have allowed to grow around you. It's time for a new day. And this is what's hard about habits. And I want to be kind to all of us here. None of us are perfect at this. I I was talking to Shelly. We're on a walk and we're talking through this message. And she said, Jonathan, now you love challenges. 
In fact, if somebody gets up there and really challenges you heavy, you rise to that. And she goes, some of us, we just feel like giving up when you get challenged like that. Because it's like, listen, what am I going to do now? And she reminded me of a story of a friend of ours, Amy, who uh, grew up, she was adopted, and not all the circumstances were great in life. But she had a mom who just knew how to keep getting up. Her mom would mess up, parenting something, faith or whatever, and drop something or fall, and she'd always pick herself up, dust herself off, and say, well, let's keep going. And she said, Amy said this, I'm following Jesus today because I looked at my mom and she was never perfect. She never tried to betray it. She just kept going. And she said, I knew I can do that. It's not about developing things perfectly, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally. It's about building habits. And you build a habit one step at a time. One step at a time. Every habit starts with a step. So I want to invite you when it comes to physical habits. I'm not an expert at this. But we have two doctors in our church, medical professionals, Dr. Annie and Dr. Gord. They're going to be running a seminar called Eat, Move, and Pray. And I would encourage you to, there's going to be a link in the chat room. I'd encourage you to scan the QR code at the end of the gathering or on the seat rack in front of you or go to the Next Steps Lounge. Do something. Take a step. Begin to form a new habit. And you don't want me teaching on this. You want people who actually know what to teach about this. And in fact, if you've got kids, the best time to start some of these habits are when they're young. And a couple of our next-gen team, Melissa and Aaron, are going to teach them about proper food and also exercise. You want to be a part of these events. These are going to be habit-forming events that are going to help you get unstuck from some of the places that you may find yourselves. So we're in a series called Rewire. We want to rewire emotionally. We want to rewire relationally. We want to rewire physically. We want to rewire mentally. And I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to realize this. You know, this lame man couldn't come to Jesus, but Jesus came to him, right? There's something, when you read through the Gospels, I've looked, I can't find a single place where Jesus doesn't go where he's invited. Jesus will go wherever he's invited. Wherever he's invited. You can look through all the Gospels. He's invited to the Pharisee's home. He goes. He's invited to the Roman centurion's home. The enemy. And he goes. The unrighteous, not, not Jewish enemy. And he goes there. He's invited to a wedding, a party in, in Cana, and he goes, he goes, he goes wherever he's invited. So any human being in any condition, broken or whole, righteous or unrighteous, when we invite him into a moment, into a space, into a place, Jesus always says, yes. He always shows up. He always did. And I think it's amazing. You know, I don't take that for granted for a church. Every time we gather in his name and invite him, he's here. He's here. You know, I told you at the beginning of the message that he's so, so good. I'm just mindful of the fact that he shows up in these gatherings. He touches lives in these gatherings. He's so much better than we are as leaders and everything. He's so much better. I love how Jesus keeps showing up. So, He'll show up at that doc difficult doctor's appointment with you if you'll invite him. He'll go to work with you if you'll invite him. He'll show up at your counseling appointment. He'll show up at the corner suite. He'll show up in the mechanic's office. He'll show up when your kids are screaming. He'll even show up when your partner's not talking to you. He'll show up to work with you. 
He comes wherever he's invited. So I want to have, we're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to have some next steps out of this. But I want to invite him to show up in your life. So here's a great way to do it. Uh, remember I said whenever Jesus shows up, maybe don't cross your arms. Maybe don't educate him. Jesus, you don't understand. I think he does. Yeah, you don't know. I, I know he knows. But you don't understand what was done. He does know. Yeah, but God, I know, I know. He's that wise, that powerful, that present. Why don't we uncross our arms and just say, even so come, Lord. So let's hold our hands in front of us. Father, we thank you, God, for loving all of us. And God, we are not all in the same place here today. Some of us are struggling with mental health in ways that this message could even feel trite and unhelpful because it's so serious and so difficult. Some of us are struggling with our emotional health that we feel like a yo-yo. We just feel like we can barely keep things together. Some of us are struggling with our physical health. We're already in the middle of a bad diagnosis, and it's not about diet or anything anymore. We need you to come through, God. Or some of us are struggling in relationships. Some of the most important ones are broken, damaged, or even gone. So, Lord, I know we're not all at the same place. But, God, we've got our arms extended saying, we invite you into our lives today. We invite you into our body, mind, soul, and spirit. We invite you into our workplaces. We invite you into our homes. We invite you into the bus or the car on the way home today. We invite you into the conversations with our significant other. We invite you into those corners, those messy corners of our life that we dare not tell our significant other about. We invite you into the mess that we're trying to manage on our own. We invite you into the moments that we try to white-knuckle it and just willpower our way through it, and we can't. So God, we don't come to you with answers. We come to you with open hands. We're not going to tell you how, but would you tell us how? Would you love us enough to lead us from here to there, to heal us, to restore us, we invite your leadership into our life in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said who wanted this, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.